going back to uh, previous weeks that we've looked at, um, back in verse 22 of Luke 12, uh, Jesus uh, specifically singled out the disciples and was speaking to them uh, many different things. Um, And from verse 22 down through verse number 53, he primarily was speaking, obviously, to the disciples, although at some points, you know, wider points of application could be made. But speaking directly to them, uh, and last time that we gathered together, we looked at the mission, uh, Christ's purpose in coming and Christ's mission in coming, um, in bringing the gospel was not one to uh, bring peace, but was rather to bring division. We looked at that in verses number 51 through 53. And in verse 54, Jesus turns his uh, attention specifically away from the disciples and turns it to the crowds. Uh, There are many people that... um, and it's very difficult sometimes when you're going through Scripture, because a lot of times, especially in the gospel records um, in John, um, as we have drawn attention to, Pastor Ryan's drawn attention to this as we've been reading through it, um, John is very fast-paced, and he just goes from one thing to the next, and it's always quickly this and quickly that. And sometimes it's hard to really determine whether we have the disciples here as his inner circle, you know, so to speak, and then the crowds just beyond them, um, whether it's one gathering in one location and Jesus goes turning from talking directly to his disciples where the crowds can hear to addressing the crowds. Or if it's two separate occasions where he's alone with his disciples, and then it says, and he said also to the crowds, maybe at a separate time, a separate place, um, those things are not contained for us many times in Scripture. So when we look at passages like this, we, we kind of have to um, understand that we're, we're, we don't understand the entire context of where he was or who exactly was present. But we, here we see Christ addressing the crowds. Um, there's other passages of Scripture where Jesus um, approaches the same topic of teaching, um, most notably in Matthew chapter 16, uh, where they come to him looking for a sign. And uh, Jesus um, teaches has some very similar teaching to what we'll see here in, in Luke chapter 12 today. So some people think that uh, this may have been a separate occasion where people came to Christ as they normally did and asked for a sign. If you are the Christ, show us a sign. Um, so, or, and we don't, we don't necessarily know if that was the case or not. But here he turns to the crowds in verse 54, and um, the, he does two specific things in this passage as he's addressing the crowds. Jesus' um, teaching to the crowds goes down through chapter 13 and verse number 9, and uh, I'm I'm assuming at some point we'll look at that as well. Uh, But here in verse 54 uh, through 59, he's he's doing two things. Uh, The first thing that he's doing is he is calling the people to properly interpret the times and the signs of the times that they are seeing. And uh, that's uh, found in verse number 54 down through verse number 56. The second thing that he's doing is he is calling them uh, to look inwardly and to make their peace with God while it is still time. So first of all, he's drawing attention to the signs of the times and uh, calling them to rightly interpret that and then also calling them to make peace with God while it is time. We'll start in verse number 54 and uh, we'll work our way through that first part of that um, now. So here he says, he also said to the crowds, I'll read through through it again. When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So here the call is to them, a, a rebuke, 
that they do not know how to interpret the present time. And along with that, it comes um, two very interesting um, weather uh, things. Dennis and I, was, in fact, the entire time I was studying for this, I was thinking only of Dennis. Um, and I, I almost said, um, as a preface to the lesson this morning, you know, if I say anything wrong about the weather, Dennis, you stop me, but I don't think I'd be able to get a word in edgewise after he started correcting all of my mistakes. Um, so uh, if, if any of you see Dennis um, face-palming there in the back row, or perhaps he should get up and walk out, you'll know um, not to listen to any of the weather things that I'm talking about. Um, so he says to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. It's very interesting. Um, when you think about different localities, parts of the country, there are often very interesting characteristics, specifically weather-wise, and I'm sure Dennis could expound on this a lot. But up in the north, we had certain weather patterns. Um, here in the south, um, we have certain weather patterns, some of them more predictable than others. But here Jesus is drawing attention to two specific weather patterns that are, were very common uh, in that part of the country, in the, the area of Palestine, uh, in Israel, and then as we'll look here in that second illustration that he uses, the second uh, instance that he gives, uh, even down into the Arabian Desert and the Sinai Peninsula and all across the Sahara in northern Africa. The first one, he says, is you see a cloud rising in the west. Now, if you think of uh, Israel, you have, as it faces you, you have the coast of Israel here, right? And then you have to the west, what's on the west? The Mediterranean. Yeah, you have a, the Mediterranean Sea to the west of Israel. So he says to them, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. Now, you would say, well, of course a shower is coming. Because uh, you see that moisture gathering, right? You see all the processes that that takes, and you know that... If that, those clouds are coming this way, bringing moisture with it, you're sure to get rain. So he says, you see this, you recognize the signs of what's happening. Based on past experience, you say, well, you know, in the past when the, the, the clouds were coming from the west, it rained. So I can, I can accurately predict that as the clouds are coming now, it's going to rain when you see that cloud. And the Bible says, Jesus says, he says, and so it happens. You're right in your prediction. Uh, it's very interesting to notice, um, even in the Old Testament, this pattern was really established. Um, if you have a moment, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, we find the, uh, the trial of the gods on uh, Mount Carmel. Uh, Elijah is there with all of the, the 450 prophets of Baal, and uh, we know the story, right? They, how they're, they're crying from the morning till the midday, O Baal, hear us. And um, all the while, Elijah is deriding them. Um, and in very, um, very profane ways, he is making fun of Baal, their supposed god, or the, the, the gods of Baal. Uh, he says, perhaps he's on a journey, he can't hear you. He's away from the phone, you know. Maybe his phone's on silent, those type of things. Maybe he is using the facilities, and he's not able to answer your call right now. He's very profane and, and, and vulgar in the way that he made fun of them. Um, and then it came time after they were all tired and they even began cutting themselves that Elijah came and he had set up a, an altar to the Lord. He had them bring up what little water was left because they were in the middle and, well, at the very end of a massive drought. Uh, and so he, they, they douse the, uh, the altar in water filling up the trench around it, and then Elijah kneels down and he prays to the Lord. 
And God sends fire from heaven that consumed the altar, the sacrifice, and all of the water surrounding it. An unbelievable victory uh, and an unquestionable show of the power of God uh, on Elijah's behalf. And uh, after the fact, uh, Elijah commands that, and all of the people after they saw it, they say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is the God. After that, all of the prophets of Baal are taken and they are killed. And that brings us to verse number 44 of 1 Kings chapter 18. Let's start in verse number 41. Elijah said unto Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, the servant says, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. In a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. So here in even the Old Testament in 1 Kings 18, Elijah in sending his servant to go and look towards the sea, what was he doing? He was saying, God is going to send rain. I want you to go and look for it. Because when those clouds form from the west over the Mediterranean, they start coming this way, we know that we are going to get rain that God is going to send us rain. And of course, we see that God did send rain. God sent a a deluge of rain, great rain, the Bible says. Uh, So we see that that pattern that was established in that part of the world um, carried on. And I'm sure even to this day, uh, the same can be said. um, As they see those clouds coming towards land from the Mediterranean, that it will rain. And so here Jesus is not necessarily commending them, but recognizing the truth that they do have in some of the the patterns that they recognize. He says, you can discern the sky. You can predict the weather. It's amazing. He says, so it happens. Um, Turning back to Luke chapter uh, 12, he also brings up another uh, weather pattern that uh, was, was common for them to see in certain times of the year. In verse number 55, he says, and when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. This uh, scorching heat that um, it's talking about is called a uh, soraka. Uh, it's very common in the northern part of Africa. Um, it's a very uh, fast, um, mighty, strong wind that comes across the Sahara. Um, and some, some um, people have said that it comes even across at almost hurricane speeds, travels across the Mediterranean. And uh, when it comes across the Mediterranean, it actually brings cool weather bringing all that air uh, over the Mediterranean uh, to southern Europe, Italy, and all of the, uh, the, the countries there on the coast. Um, but the same, is, uh, the same type of wind is that, that he's talking about here is also not only in the northern part of Africa, but is over on the Arabian Peninsula, and uh, what we would think as the Sinai Peninsula. Um, and that wind would come across the desert there in the Sinai Peninsula and come up instead of going across the Mediterranean, it would follow the land around and come up into the, the uh, area surrounding Israel. And instead of being cooled down by the water as it went across the Mediterranean, instead it would just bring up this scorching, what the Bible de- defines here as scorching heat. 
Um, other people have pointed to uh, passages in Scripture where, um, pointing maybe this, this was a, a common occurrence, maybe even an everyday occurrence. You think of the, the parable that uh, Jesus tells them when uh, they go, the, the master goes out and gets workers to come and work in his field for the day, and then he goes and gets more. He offers them all the same amount of money, right? And then at the end of the day, he had workers that only worked one hour. And he paid the ones that worked one hour the same as the ones who worked all day. And what happened? The ones that had worked all day complained. They said, why should they be paid the same as we are? Because we have endured the scorching heat of the day. We've endured the the most brutal part of the day. Some people say that that is also the winds that it's talking about. I I don't necessarily agree with that specifically, but we know that during the day, that's the hottest part of the day to be working outside. We know that in Texas especially, right? Um, so there's a, uh, this, this wind would come up, and it was so hot that it would, it would wilt plants. Um, scripture talks about uh, the, the grass withering and the flowers falling off because of the immense heat. Um, some point at that and say, this could be what it's referring to. So he says this, this wind will be coming in, and this scorching heat, when you see these winds coming from the south, uh, I'm not sure if it appeared like a dust storm or something as it was coming across. I'm not sure what that would have been like. But he says it's something that can be recognized. You look at it and you say, oh, these are the, the, the winds coming from the south. And with those winds coming from the south, it brought scorching and immense heat and elevated temperatures. I, I was uh, reading a, a uh, I'm not sure if it was part of a book, a chapter of a book, uh, talking about Soracas uh, in, uh, back, it was done back in the 1920s, I think it was. And uh, some, um, I'm guessing, meteorologists or scientists had gone and they had uh, uh, measured the weather patterns and had taken temperatures before it happened, like during, and then when it, when it was at its peak, and it rose uh, in Celsius probably 20 degrees or so. Uh, and it was um, pretty amazing. But uh, anyway, uh, it, it brought this immense heat. And he says, you're right. You see these signs, and you're correct. You can accurately predict this weather. But how... Are you so hypocritical? How can you predict all of these things regarding the weather, but yet you can't even properly interpret the present time? You can predict and interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but you have no clue as to what's happening in front of you right now. Uh, Almost every time I teach Sunday school, uh, Jason asks me, either before or after, what was the title for that? And almost every time I just say, um... Luke chapter 12, verse 55, or, you know, and I just give him the reference because I've always been horrible at coming up with titles. Um, and I told Dennis and them uh, this morning that as I was going through the first part of this lesson, I said, I know the perfect title for this. The title would have been, uh, Everyone's a Weatherman and Nobody Knows Anything. Um, because in one, in one respect, they were right. They were correct in interpreting some things, but other things they were so ignorant about. And what is he saying that they're ignorant about? They're ignorant about the signs of the times or the the present time. He's basically saying, you have no idea what is unfolding before your very eyes. You have no idea why I'm come to this earth. And even it could be said that maybe even he was telling them the mission, plainly telling them what he was bringing um, by his ministry and by his message uh, there in the previous verses with his disciples, and he says, you still don't understand. He says, instead, you 
hypocrites. You hypocrites. He derides them. He rebukes them for their wisdom in earthly things, but their ignorance about heavenly things. Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Um, Here, Jesus, in in, in identifying their um, hypocrisy, um, some people say, well, you know, they were blinded. And in a sense, we can be blinded by our, um, I say, by our religiosity, by our, um, a facade that we see many times the scribes, the Pharisees, would put up uh, in front of people to present this holy, righteous front. But inwardly, Jesus identified them as uh, dead sepulchers. Uh, you are a, a, a casket full of dead men's bones, but you're so beautiful on the outside. You put up such a good front, but if people only knew what was on the inside, you are nothing more than a hypocrite. In fact, he called them hypocrites over and over and over again through his earthly ministry. But why is he calling them hypocrites here? I think there's a, a few different reasons. Here I, here Jesus is speaking, and many times when he's speaking to the crowd, there, there are often people from the scribes and Pharisees listening because they often came to him so they can find something that he says that they can trip him up in and put him to death later in his ministry, especially they sought anything that they could use to put him to death. But many times in the crowds, there were religious leaders Many people is calling, are calling Jesus Christ the Messiah, and they were the ones that were supposed to have been looking for the Messiah, were they not? They were, like, they were on the lookout for the, the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. They knew all of the prophecies, I would dare say, about the Messiah, probably could quote them from memory. But yet when the Messiah comes to them and they are face to face with him, they do not see it. So here he, he calls out their hypocrisy. You're the ones that are looking for the Messiah, but yet the Messiah has come. I am here. And you, you have no idea. You can't see it. We can look at the... Uh, Jesus could have pointed specifically to the prophecies. And many times we see in the, the New Testament, uh, those preaching um, in the book of Acts, especially in the first couple of chapters, we see the sermon of, of Peter on the day of Pentecost, uh, pointing back, always pointing back to the Old Testament and the prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ. Uh, even um, the Apostle Paul, as he went out as well, preaching, uh, they would give evidences from the Old Testament, prophecies that had been fulfilled, and they say, this Jesus Christ, this was him, this was the Messiah, and you crucified him. So you could look at the prophecies and say, they knew the prophecies. How could they not see their fulfillment in Jesus Christ? How do they not know? Not only that, but you can see the, the evidences listed by his earthly ministry. Even from the very early chapters of the book of Luke, we find a young Jesus in the temple asking questions, stumping the religious leaders, but also offering the answers. The Bible says they were amazed and astonished at his answers to them. Perhaps uh, uh, doctrinal things that had been uh, vehemently argued and debated for many years, Jesus just giving a, the plain response and answering all of those objections. Uh, in the rest of Luke, we see uh, many people healed. We see in, in chapter 4, the man with an unclean demon cast out. 
The Bible says in, later in chapter 4 that Jesus healed all that were sick that were brought to him. In chapter 5, we see the, the cleansing of a leper. We see a paralyzed man being let down through a roof and raised up, walking out of there, taking his bed with him. In chapter 6, we see a man with a withered hand healed. Uh, we see time and time and time again, and I had a list written. I can't access it, unfortunately. <laughs> I think I changed the password on one of my accounts, and um, I don't know the password right off the top of my head. Um, so that's why I can't get into all that right now. But we could walk through from the beginning of Luke all the way up until chapter 10, chapter 11, and see the many miracles that were performed. Jairus' daughter's raised, the centurion's servant healed. Uh, all of these instances, the feeding of the 5,000, all of them pointing to the fact that this was not just a teacher. This was not just a wise man. This was the Son of God. And in Luke chapter 11, Jesus, and uh, I guess the culmination of part of that ministry uh, in Luke chapter 11, when he is criticized for casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, uh, says to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Almost explicitly telling them what is happening before their very eyes. And yet they just don't see it. There's a, a two different opinions. Some people say, well, they were so blinded by their tradition, by their a supposed religion, that they just were too blind to recognize it. Uh, but the other aspect of that is, I, I think, and probably more so this would be the case, they didn't want to accept it. They were content with the religious system they had in which they could be pompous and puffed up and be even revered among the people. They were content with where they were. They, they did, had no need in their own eyes of a Savior or a Messiah. So he derides them. He says, you hypocrites. You can uh, interpret what is happening in the earth and skies, but when it comes to the, uh, the present times, you have no idea what's going on. You can't see the saving work of, you know, the work of salvation that Jesus is accomplishing unfolding before your very eyes. You don't understand it. So here we see the first part of them. He's calling them to rightly interpret the present time and rebuking them for their failure to do so up to that time. The second thing that we see Jesus Christ doing is he's uh, calling them to uh, make their peace with God while it is still time to do so. Notice verse number 57. He says, And, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Now, when we're, as, we're, as we're reading through this passage, um, we can very easily, and sometimes I think um, falsely, we, we create a separation that's not necessarily in the text. And we say, well, in this verse 40, 54 through 56, he's talking about 
uh, interpreting the time and weather patterns. And, and then in, in 57 and following, he's really just giving them some good advice when it comes to civil issues. Um, but I, I think given the previous context and given the context that follows in chapter 13, I think Christ is, is seeking to make a, a very specific point, and we'll, we'll look at that in, in just a second. Uh, just to define a, a few terms here as it comes to um, this, these few verses, 57 through 59, we see the, the terms accuser, magistrate, judge, and officer. And uh, Jesus is definitely referring to a, a civil um, issue, uh, an issue of a, a debtor owing a debt to someone. Uh, so here, just to make sure everyone's clear on what these terms are specifically talking about, verse 58, the word accuser is really talking about the plaintiff in a case, uh, someone who is um, accusing someone of not paying the money that they owe, right? So you have a, a, someone who has loaned somebody amount of money, maybe a, a master who has given or le- uh, lent their servant this amount of money, and uh, they have not paid it back. So an accuser, the plaintiff bringing this issue before the magistrate. The magistrate, um, honestly, it really depends on, on who you read. It's, it's hard to, uh, to really pin down the, the uh, job uh, description, so to speak, of the magistrate um, as it relates to their specific responsibilities. But they were the ones who were uh, basically given the obligation and authority to carry out the laws, the overseeing and administration of the laws, uh, some people say that this would have been like a maybe a, a pre-trial, um, uh, not judge per se, but someone less than a judge, given um, oversight over a specific city or a specific part of the city, whereas a judge would be given much more authority of a, over a much larger area, and the judge would be the one who had the final authority and say when that case was brought before him. Uh, so we see the magistrate. Uh, and then he says, lest he drag you to the judge, the judge being, in this case, the ultimate authority over the issue, the one to decide uh, who is guilty, who is innocent, and what uh, reparations uh, will be made, if any. And then the last one that's listed is the officer. Uh, the officer is akin to what we think of as a bailiff in a courtroom, uh, someone who is the enforcing arm of the law, uh, and as it's used in, in Scripture, this is the only place in Scripture where this term is used, uh, but other, other terms are, are used to describe a, the same office. Um, and the officer was one who uh, had the, the job of um, extracting dues and debts from people who owed debts that had not been paid. Uh, and they were also in charge of the debtor's prison uh, in in uh, ancient times, if you owed a debt, uh, you would be brought before the judge. The judge would uh, put you in prison, and, and then um, it's kind of um, not clear how everything would have been worked out. Some people say that, that you would be beaten as an incentive to your family and friends to pay back the debt that you owe so you could be released once that debt was fully paid. Uh, other people say that in debtor's prison, their job was also to work and to receive wages so that they could pay back the debt that they owed. Um, but this was the person who had rule over the debtor's prison. So he's, he is describing a civil issue for us. Um, and he says, as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer puts you into prison. Jesus is simply saying here, 
It's a wise thing to try to settle your debt out of court. Settle your debt with the one uh, that you owe that money to or owe that debt to uh, so that you do not have to go before the judge, so that your debt will not be fully acknowledged in front of everyone, uh, and then eventually you'll be thrown into prison for your inability to pay for your debt. Work out uh, something with your accuser before you get to that point. And uh, we see see that carried out many, many times. Uh, In fact, uh, it's it's very... in some respects, it's very rare to see certain cases go to court. Uh, it's very common for cases to be settled out of court for some uh, agreed-on price or things like that. So Jesus is encouraging them, and some would say this is just a, simply a civil, um, just a really good idea for people to, behave, to abide by. Uh, settle with your accuser before you get before the judge. Uh, but I think Jesus is, is pointing a little more specifically here. Uh, and, and Jesus, in mentioning this uh, civil issue, is really alluding to the, the debt that we owe, the debt that every single person owes to God. Um, and the reason I say that is, uh, in verse number uh, 54, he is just rebuking them for their, their unbelief, their inability to, to recognize that he is the Messiah, the one that was sent. And then if you continue on in the following verses in chapter 13, uh, he calls them specifically to repent in verse number 5. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Uh, One interesting thing to note about uh, the debtor's prison is that um, some people that I've read regarding that issue say it it was very uncommon once you were in the debtor's prison to ever get out. Because very rarely, for, for especially debts that were so great enough to be thrown into debtor's prison, um, you were never going to escape from that. That was almost a lifetime sentence for, for many people as they entered into that, um, that judgment for the debt that they owed. So here, Jesus, I think, is more specifically pointing out the debt that, that all sinners owe that all of us owe. As we are born, we inherit the, the guilt of Adam. And we, as we've been looking at in Sunday school the past uh, several weeks, we, being in Adam, sinned in him. And we owe a debt to God. We, we deserve punishment. We deserve the wrath of God because of sin. So here, I think Jesus is not just simply providing them a good idea when it comes to civil issues, but uh, he is urging them to confess their sin, to make a settlement with the ultimate judge, the judge of all the earth, through the mediator, his son, Jesus Christ, uh, so that they would recognize their sin and confess their sin and by faith and repentance come before him and be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Obviously, we have a not explicitly stated here uh, as the, uh, the death of Christ and uh, all of that is yet to come in the narrative here in Luke. But he's encouraging them, make a settlement before you come before the judge. Notice uh, the extent of the payment that is to be made. He says in verse 59, I tell you, you will never get out unless, until you have paid the very last penny. So we've, we've talked in days past um, about the denarius. I, I know Pastor Ryan's mentioned it a few times. Uh, denarius was the equivalent of one day's wages. Um, the word that is used here is uh, leptin. And that refers to um, a very, very small 
denomination. It was, would have been a, a Jewish bronze or copper coin that roughly equivalent, you know, was equivalent to uh, one, I say roughly, and then I'm going to give you this really specific number. Okay, don't mind me, it's okay. Um, one 128th of a denarius. And I think uh, that's kind of why we, uh, the Scripture uses the word, uh, or the ESV uses the word penny. Um, I think the King James uses the word farthing when it comes to this passage, uh, just to denote a, a very small denomination. In other words, you will not be freed from that, from that punishment until the last cent, that last fragment of the debt is completely paid. And certainly we know that all of us, because of our sin, we deserve not a, a limited temporal uh, punishment. Uh, we deserve an eternal, everlasting, timeless punishment for our sin. We deserve to be separated from God forever in hell. But uh, this, is, this is to be a point of, uh, one, it should be a point of conviction for us because we know that uh, for many of us, many of our loved ones and friends do not know God. They do not have forgiveness of sins. They do not have uh, that payment made on their behalf. Uh, and they will one day uh, pay for their sins. They will suffer an eternal punishment in hell. So it ought to cause us to, to uh, speak to them, to preach the gospel to them, to point out uh, sin and to call them to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. But it should also be a point of rejoicing for us because we know that if we have trusted in Jesus Christ by faith, we have repented of our sins, that Jesus Christ is the one who bore our penalty on Calvary. He is the one who suffered and bled and died on behalf of all who believe in him. And so we can be comforted and be uh, rejoicing in that fact that we don't ever have to endure the eternal wrath of God that Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God for us, and we can uh, be grateful to God for his amazing gift of grace and mercy that he's shown to us. So uh, how, how should we uh, kind of leave this lesson? Number one, we should look back and uh, be grateful. Uh, as John, I believe it's John 17 in, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, he says, I'm, I thank you that you have hidden this from the wise and prudent, and you have revealed it to babes, to simpletons. Um, we, we have no wisdom in of ourselves that we can look and say, I was just so smart and so wise, and because of that, I, I came to Jesus. I'm just so, I'm just so wise in that, in that respect. We can't, there's nothing good in us that we can point to and say, it's because of me. We can only look to Christ and say, it is because of him and his mercy and his grace that he has shown to us. We can be thankful that God has revealed the scripture to us, that God has both given us a call to repent and a call to faith, but also has drawn us by the power of the Holy Spirit to the Father, and that we have become believers. Um, the next thing that we can uh, be thankful about and, and uh, work toward is, is seeking to understand the work that God is doing in our lives. This is, obviously is not specifically addressed uh, he gave them a specific charge about the present time that they were living in. Uh, but many times uh, I, in, in situations in, of my life, many times I, you can get the feeling that God has forsaken you. If you feel like things aren't going the way that you think they ought to, many times I cry out to God and say, God, what, why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? And it's, 
it's often that I need to be reminded that, that God has not forsaken me, but that God is carrying out his plan and his purpose in my life as he sees fit and not as I see fit. Many times we are guilty as well of looking at our current situation, looking at the work of God that he's doing in our lives uh, in the wrong way. But God is working in our lives uh, for, for our good and to glorify himself. So we can uh, look at our circumstances and thank God that he is sovereign over them and that he is working out his plan and purpose. And uh, lastly, uh, we can be thankful that our peace is made with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and that we have the responsibility and obligation to go out and to share the good news of the gospel um, promiscuously. I think Pastor Ryan said that two weeks ago. Promiscuously share the gospel uh, to those that we meet preaching the gospel of them, calling them to faith and repentance, because that is the only cure um, that will help anyone uh, for the problem that they have with sin and the certainty of coming judgment. So uh, let's take these, uh, these things to heart and, and uh, let's pray. Our dear Father, uh, we thank you for your, your word uh, this afternoon. I pray that you'd uh, seal the, the word that we have read uh, this, this afternoon in our hearts, that, that we would Lord, be thankful for the the gift of salvation that you have so freely given to us. And Father, as we have freely received uh, this gift of salvation, may we um, uh, not be able to shut up uh, about the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, that we would go and and tell everyone that we know, uh, all of our friends and family members, people that we come in contact with, and, and preach the gospel to them with a heart of compassion Lord, uh, so that you might draw them as well uh, to salvation through Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, help us never to neglect the purpose that you are working out in our lives, but help us to trust you and by faith know that you are working uh, to glorify yourself uh, through us. And may we have confidence that you are in control and that you do all things well. Lord, it may be cause pain in our lives. We may have times of sorrow and grief. Lord, but we know that you are working out your purpose. And we thank you for that. Be with us the, the remainder of this day. I pray for uh, Pastor Ryan he's, as he prepares to preach today that you would uh, bless him. Uh, open up our eyes of understanding uh, as we uh, look into your word this afternoon. Uh, in the preaching of your word, help us to glorify you and to sing praises to your name. For you are the only one that is worthy. Uh, we ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.